This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Well, Stu, another exciting day. Uh, <laughs> 2021 is great so a, far. Oh, I'm glad 2020's over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure am, too. Crap. All right. We had a really great podcast today. We spent a lot of time, all the, the entire time, talking about what happened yesterday in Washington uh, and from mainly people that were there. Uh, I think you're really going to love what people had to say. Some of them disagree with me. Um, you know, my position was made clear on this podcast. You'll hear, uh, but uh, great civil conversations uh, about where we go from here and what happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Who was right? Who was wrong? All that plus the banning of voices, including the president's Trump, uh, President Trump's voice on Facebook and Instagram indefinitely. All the news you need to know on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I have bad news for you. This is only the beginning. And why? Well, because we are at a crossroads in the nation. People are longing to be free. And they have seen disturbing attempts to subvert their freedoms and impose on their lives. When people have lost their jobs. Are living in states where. (laughs) There's draconian measures. They've been told to shut their business down. And they've been told to pipe down because you want to kill grandma. Meanwhile, people like Cuomo are actually killing grandma and grandpa. When people have done everything they can and actually started... In my my example, started from the premise that, yeah, Donald Trump probably was working with the Russians. Yeah, well, if he was doing something, he should go to jail and then actually did the work and found out the exact opposite was true. And the more you found out, the more you realized the entire government seemed to be in on it. The FBI knew that this was a plan from Clinton. They knew it. And they did nothing. And when you expose it, no one goes to jail. When people feel as though their voice is being silenced... That even their own representatives from their own party treat them like garbage. 
when they've been called racist, bigots, when they've been called conspiracy theorists over things like the Hunter Biden laptop that now the press says, oh, I guess there is something there. But we all feel that nothing will ever happen. What are they supposed to do? Now, here's let me make this very clear. They are not supposed to get violent. We have a right of free speech of petitioning our government. We have a right to demand answers. But we don't destroy the Capitol. We don't. You know, I, I, I feel horrible saying this, but I have to say it if I'm to be consistent. I, for, the, for years, have talked about this. And the last summer, 90 days of violence, burning things down, challenging, pushing cops, not obeying the law, not obeying a cop. We told you, if you are running and the cop says stop, you stop. Otherwise, you could get shot and killed. This woman that was killed in the Capitol, shot by police officers. Was she obeying? Stop. Don't come in. Don't do this. She's trying to get into the floor of the house. She's shot. I don't think she deserved to die. I don't think she should have been shot. There's no, in my opinion, there's no justification of shooting through a door at somebody. But she was trying to go into the House of Representatives. The people on the other side of the door had no idea if these people were armed or anything. For consistency's sake, I have to say the same thing that I said over the summer. Obey the police. (sighs) But what do people do when the institutions that are supposed to address matters lawfully don't? What do people do when they feel like nobody's listening to me? I mean, this is why I was in support of what Senator Cruz was doing. uh, Chris Stewart was doing saying, look, give us 10 days, 10 days and a hearing. I don't know this for a fact. Well, I do from Chris Stewart. Because I've talked to him about it. Chris knew that this isn't going to change anything. It's not going to change the outtime outcome because there's no time. And there is no there's no trigger or mechanism in the Constitution. So it's not going to change anything except one very important thing. You take the charges from half the country seriously. And you seriously consider them. You listen. Nobody wants to do that. 
You're a conspiracy theorist. Shut up. Sit down. Why won't people hear a case, consider evidence? Why the double standard? Why, when Hillary Clinton was sharing on her own private server confidential top-secret documents, nothing happens to her, but a guy who takes a picture of the inside of a submarine for his kid, nothing sensitive, just breaking the law, taking a picture of inside of a U.S. submarine, he goes to jail. Nothing happens to Hillary Clinton. You can't do that. You can't do that. Don't talk to me about the rule of law unless you're willing to apply the rule of law equally. Now, I can talk about the rule of law because I'm consistent And quite honestly, so is the audience. 90 days, you did nothing. You said nothing. Oh, man, didn't take you 90 days. It took you about two and a half minutes to start calling these people seditious terrorists. Where the hell were you with with Antifa? I was saying those people should be arrested and it was wrong. Today, those people who went in, tore up our capital, broke the windows, put their feet up on people's desks, destroyed public property, they should be arrested. But I think the left should be arrested as well. What do people do with double standards and corruption? What do people do when the rule of law is corrupted by so many bad actors in nearly every institution that people feel powerless? When they see massive investigations launched by Congress, when Trump makes a phone call to Ukraine, But when real corruption with far more evidence and consequence like voter fraud, Hunter Biden, or the real story of Ukraine, when that's completely ignored, what do you do when the system is no longer followed? What do you do? Because you've always been told you were raised to believe in America, that America answers to the people. When you can't trust anything because it's shady, fraudulent, illegal, and nobody cares. When you can't trust anyone, you can't trust your own party. You can't trust the other party. You can't trust any politician. You can't trust the courts. You can't trust the Supreme Court. You can't trust everybody in the administration. You can't trust the police. You can't trust the DOJ. You can't trust the FBI. You can't trust the military. You can't trust your own schools and your teachers. What do you do? There is no excuse for what happened yesterday, but there are reasons it happened. And unless and until 
we have a serious conversation about what started that. It wasn't Donald Trump. Donald Trump is an effect. He is not the cause. He's an effect. This is not going to be the last time this happens, God forbid. Today, I plead with you. Let's be adults. And let's talk about it. Anger and fear will get us nowhere. I give up. I surrender to the tactics of the left. If we become everything we despise, we are truly done as a nation. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. want to make it very very clear that there are many reasons normal people will go nuts and do things like they did yesterday many reasons and they should be discussed but there is never an excuse for violence never an excuse for violence it's stupid it uh, is prove a proven failure when when BLM, 70 or 78% approval rating at the beginning. Black Lives Matter approval rating, now about 20. Why? Because violence, it doesn't connect with Americans. It's not the way to win. Uh, and it's just wrong, period. With that being said, I want to hear from people who were there yesterday. People who saw it people who experienced it. And I want to talk to a good friend of mine who was there actually in the house, Chris Stewart, a congressman from Utah. Chris, how are you today? Well, I, I think like a lot of Americans, we're weary and a little saddened by what we saw. Man. But I appreciate you making the point about violence and how it actually hurts the cause. It hurts what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. And I do appreciate you making that point. And there was plenty of violence yesterday. Uh, I mean, I saw cops be get dragged into the crowd and just a crap beat out of them. I saw, I saw other injuries. And of course, we know that people lost their lives yesterday. That does not help. That does not help our country. I have to tell you, Chris, the woman that was shot, um, it, uh, I, I don't think there was, I, I'm saying the same things that I said, you know, during the Antifa stuff. If you don't obey the police, you have a chance of getting shot, uh, especially in a situation where it's just chaotic. So you always have to obey the police, fight about it later, but obey the police. I don't think that any cop should have shot her in the neck through the door. But I have to tell you, I was on the other side of the door, um, theoretically. I wasn't inside that room. You were inside that room. What was going through your head? 
Yeah, so I had a kind of a unique vantage point, Glenn. I, uh, we had a bomb threat here in my office building, and we had to leave. And so I was over the Capitol, and then I was trying to come back to my office when a lot of this kicked off, and they wouldn't let me. So I was walking through the tunnel back to the Capitol, and it sounded like a herd of horses coming up behind me. You know, maybe a dozen or, or, or 20 cops came running behind me. And, I, and you know, then these guys are flat out running and, and they go rushing by and I, I kind of followed them. And, and, you know, I just wanted to observe and see what was happening. And, and a few minutes later, when they broke into the Capitol, I ended up getting kind of shoved into a, a room. But the, the reason that's interesting is it gave me a vantage point because instead of being on the floor, I was uh, in a small room off the floor where I could actually watch the crowd. And they were banging on the windows and pointing at us and trying to get in. And, and, uh, and then, you know, uh, uh, and my initial feeling was, you know, what are, what are these folks going to do? I mean, they, they're going to come in here. They're not going to, they're not going to hurt me. I mean, these are just, you know, kind of, you know, Trump supporters, good families, people who just want to come and express their displeasure, but it quickly changed Glenn. And then shortly after that, we heard the gunshot and, you know, over the radio with the police officer who was with me, you know, they hear shots fired, shots fired. But from the window, I could watch the crowd and you could see people who were just, again, kind of normal folks who just wanted they were distressed about the election. They were, you know, frightened for our future. But you could see this kind of riot mentality develop for, you know, people who weren't Antifa, people who were, again, just kind of people like you and me. But they lost their minds and they all grab barricades and start, you know, smashing in windows and, and hurting each other in some instances. And it was really, really quite something to watch. That's why riots are so bad. That's why mobs are so bad. Um, people do things that they didn't intend to do uh, is out of their character because they just get whipped up into a frenzy. Um, yeah. And, you know, people were chanting, this is our house. This is our house. Well, then, if that's your house, then let me just say what my mother used to say. Kids, this is why we don't have nice things. Um, yeah. You know, you yeah. don't treat your house the way they were treating um, and you yeah. don't treat people, you know, it's, uh, I felt for you yesterday because you and I have met over the last couple of weeks and and have talked about the things that might come our way. And how do we help diffuse this? How do we and what I thought you and others in the House and the Senate were trying to do was absolutely right. As you know, Chris, two weeks ago, I wasn't for it. I talked to you and you're like, Glenn. People have to be heard. You're right. They have to be heard. It was the right thing to ask for 10 days just to have a legitimate hearing on this so you can tell people and show people that, yes, your voice does matter because people feel like their voices have been squashed. Well, there's no, no doubt about that, Glenn. Everyone, everyone wins by the more information we have. Biden wins. The Democrats win, Republicans win, and, and those tens of millions of Americans that I felt like I was trying to represent, and it wasn't just me, there were many others, who feel like, look, I, I, I love my country, but I'm scared to death that we've lost the election process, the integrity of the election process, which changes the future for everyone. We owe it to those tens of millions of, of Americans to do everything we can to tell them the truth. And, and that's what that effort was about. Uh, and, and Glenn, could I go back to something that, I, again, you're uh, talking about the mentality of the crowd and how sometimes people just make mistakes and they lose their minds. I was watching, uh, I, I, as I said, from the window, and I see these two kind of middle-aged, you know, they look like they were 45, maybe 50. Two of them go running forward. They grab this barricade and they run, rush over and use it as a battering ram to break some windows. 
Mm. And they couldn't break through the windows, but you, I could, I could close enough. I could see the expressions on their faces. They kind of stop and they look at each other and you could see, they go, what in the world are we doing? They put the barricade down and they walk back and rejoin their families. So again, these weren't Antifa people. These were just normal folks, but they just got carried away. And then they were embarrassed by it. And they kind of go back and, and, and eventually disappeared into the crowd. But again, that was a, that was a kind of a lesson for me to think, as you said, this is why these are bad ideas to, to get so carried away that you would do something you otherwise never would do. And people get hurt and you hurt the cause. You hurt the things you're fighting for. And I thought your illustration about Black Lives Matter and their approval rating going from, you know, really quite high down into the tank. And it's almost entirely because of, of violence. And then, of course, some of the things that they actually believe. Americans hear that and go, well, that sounds nuts. I don't believe that. But we don't want to hurt ourselves by doing things that we're embarrassed about or that people get hurt in. Did How did this change the debate when you all resume the debate on the floor yeah, after everything settled question. down? How, how did it yeah, affect? It changed it quite a lot. I mean, we had, as you know, something more than uh, two dozen senators who were originally joining in this effort to question some of these electorals. And at the end of the day, we anticipated four, potentially six uh, states that we were going to contest, and we ended up only doing two. Mm. And, uh, and the debate on them was much more subdued and much shorter, although there was a, one incident on the floor about 2.30 in the morning where you had a, you know, people rush each other and almost come to fisticuffs. And there was you know, a, a fair amount of emotion there, but the, the Senate side particularly uh, felt subdued and just, just wanted to walk away from it. I was talking with a couple of senators just a few minutes ago and trying to get their feeling for it. And I mean, it just took all of the energy out of the, out of the effort. It took all of the emotion and, and many of them and, and others in the house as well felt like, look, look, we just need to get this behind us. We know, we know we're not going to change the outcome. Let's just uh, deal with the world as it is and, uh, and move on. And I think it, it there's no question it changed it didn't change the outcome in any way, but it certainly changed the process and the debate that we went through to get there. Uh, you know, I've said several times the president needs to appoint a special counsel uh, to look into this, um, yeah. and because if it's true, it changes everything. It's not going to change the, the presidency. There is no correct me if I'm wrong. There is nothing in the Constitution that says what you do if the president's side cheated and he's now the president of the United States. There's no, there's no answer for that. So you're not necessarily changing anything. You are ensuring that it never happens again. And that has to be done. Has to. Well, and that's the whole key to this. I mean, the Republic can survive one one election where we find ourselves in this situation. And we know that because, you know, most historians and others, uh, you know, accept that it happened in 1960 with Nixon. Uh, and yet we survived. But you can't survive people losing faith to the point that they just say, well, I'm not going to vote anymore. Or the presumption for regardless of who wins, for half the country to think, well, they only won because they cheated. And if we don't, if we don't, uh, reform the electoral process. And the last thing I want, by the way, the very last thing I want is to federalize this. It would be a, an Huge enormous mistake. mistake if we did that. Yep. But, but we can, but we can uh, incentivize and compel the states to put in, in you know, processes of integrity so we don't find ourselves in this situation every four years 
Because if we don't, then I promise you every four years, again, regardless of who won, we're going to be in this situation. I mean, the Democrats did it in 2016 when there was zero evidence. But how many of them said he's an illegitimate president? How many of them said he's not my president? And how many of them said I won't be governed by him? And it's going to be worse and worse every year unless we can fix it. Chris, tell me what you think about the idea of uh, states becoming sanctuary states, meaning uh, they they that we strengthen our states and not all states will do it, but strengthen our states that if you start passing things that are unconstitutional, we will not go along with it. And we will be a sanctuary state. We stand for the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. If you decide to change that, you're leaving us. We're not leaving you. Yeah. Well, we had a chance to talk about this a little while ago. And Glenn, it's something that, uh, you know, has been back in my mind for a couple of years now. You have these sanctuary cities. And for various reasons, uh, of which I don't support, by the way. I mean, they're generally over uh, enforcement immigration law and maybe one or two others. But they've just essentially said to the federal government, we don't care. We're not going to do it. We're not going to enforce these laws and we're not going to allow you to enforce these laws in our city. And uh, and look, the very last thing I think any of us want to do, people talk about there's going to be a civil war. We're going to divide the country. No, we're not. And if we do, it's a catastrophe for our nation. It's a catastrophe for the rest of the world because the United States is the only thing holding the world together. And you're never going to do that without bloodshed. But are there things that we could do that would allow some separation where people could be governed the way they feel like they they should be governed? And one of those is to go back to federalism, which is, I think, essentially the idea you're suggesting. And that is allow the states to have the authority to govern their own people so that we don't feel like California values are being imposed on us in my home district of Utah. Right. Where we can say, well, look, if you want to do that, you know, California, if you want to go all in on the Green New Deal and, you know, blah, 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 whatever it might be, knock yourself out, go do it. But you can't compel those of us living in the Midwest or living in the Western states or living in the Southern states to comply with morals and standards that we just simply don't don't agree to. And I think ultimately it's the only answer to keep our nation together but at the same time and not have people feel like they're being lorded over by a king who doesn't believe that they're worth the the values and the integrity that they think are inherent in their own lives. More important than the union, it's the only way to keep us alive, Uh, quite honestly. It's the only way to survive as a nation, as a people. Uh, is to have certain states, and each state can decide for themselves, but elect people who will say, we stand for the Constitution here in this state, here in this town, and if unconstitutional things are passed, go ahead, go ahead. You can do that in California, not in Texas, not in Texas. Chris, thank you so much. Hey, thank you, sir. It's an honor to be with you. You bet. Chris Stewart congressman uh who was there yesterday and fighting for the people that were threatening uh all of the people on the floor you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program let me talk to people who were there uh yesterday and i want to start with a couple of people that uh disagree with me uh the bottom of the screen i can't see the last one on the screen uh 
Yeah, is it Mike? Okay. Hi, Mike. Mike, are you there? Glenn, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? I am here. Okay. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I love your show. Obviously, I waited over an hour to talk to I'm you. I'm sorry and about I that. Really, I guess what it boils down to is this. No, it's uh, it's a pleasure. A lot of interesting information out there. I, I watched this yesterday on a limited basis, news reviews, whatnot, and Oof. trying to boil this down to one thing. I mean, is righteousness always going to be passive? I, I just find too many no. places in righteous history where people just stood up and said, you know, enough is enough. And I guess, you know, we talk about the ballot box. We got to have the ballot box. We got to have the ballot box. But you know what happens when the ballot box fails? The powder box is next. And we didn't have that yet. But for one, I find it kind of comical that McConnell and a few others were talking about, you know, we're not going to be intimidated. Well, (laughs) the videos out there, they were all pretty intimidated because they thought that the people were coming for them. But this is this was not you know, pitchforks in, uh, in the fire quite yet. But, you know, what well, it, 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 I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah. there were what four a, people, there were four people that were killed. So let's, you know, let's, let's not diminish what happened. Um, you know, this, this is, uh, this was violent. It was bad. I believe it was wrong um, because there are other options. I mean, I just talked about one uh, a few minutes ago. We have to we have to organize at the state and local level. We've been trying to win it at the national level. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We've learned that lesson over the years. And boy, did we learn it this this time. The states are the ones that control the voting process. We allowed our states to go completely out of control. A few of them. We have to fix it at the state level. The voting has to be fixed at the state level. And we have more influence the closer to home. Um, We also need to find ourselves and find out if we're living in a state that will hold the line against unconstitutional action. I believe that the, the best thing to do right now is to get your your state your governor and your uh, and your your house and uh, Senate to be able to stand up now and say, hey, we're cool until you start messing with the Bill of Rights, until you start messing with the Constitution. If this is unconstitutional, I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care what anybody says. If our state believes that this is wrong and unconstitutional, we're not going to abide. You can do it in California all you want. Not here. And the states need the Tenth Amendment, and we really need to stand strong locally. That is, I think, the next step. Pull back and guard the home. Guard the home. You disagree with that, Mike? May I make two quick comments? Sure. I I would like to say that, first of all, I don't see much chance of any type of change happening in the places where it needs to happen, such as Atlanta, such as Philadelphia, such as Chicago, they're not going to change. Those those cultures have been corrupted. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I, and I hear everybody talking about patience, and I understand it's tragic that the, that the girl got shot. That shouldn't have happened. Or the but three other people. There's not a person there that was breaking into the Capitol. Right. Well, there's not a person that, who was there that was involved in the melee who physically said, yeah, let's take the Capitol. Let's go in there and show them that the people are here to let our voice be heard. None of those people thought this was totally safe. 
They knew there was a chance they could be repelled by the police, including getting shot. So none of those people took a risk without knowing. But, you know, again, oh. I hear a lot of patience being preached here. And I'm glad that our forefathers weren't as patient with the British as we're being told to be patient now. I think people are fed up. I think the ballot box. Do you, how, how many years? How, how many years? How many years did our founders fight uh, the British uh, before the actual war? How many years? Before the Revolutionary War? Yeah. Oh, it went on for 15 or 20 years. It went on yeah. for a while. A little longer than that. And they didn't. And where up, it, they didn't. Well, but I'm saying the real fighting. They didn't negotiate to the very end. They finally said, you know what? They don't negotiate in good faith. We will have to take up arms. So these people are there saying, hey, we're not taking up arms yet, but look what we can do with just showing up with a lot of people. And again, these people, they can get on TV and say, oh, well, we're not going to be intimidated. Well, they look pretty intimidated to me. Well, it looks like I, they, I, they I, Mike, I, I, I want I want you to know that um, I respect a difference of opinion um, and I appreciate I appreciate your call and you appreciate you be willing to have a, a decent, calm, collected conversation. I disagree with you. I am a student of history. I know what the founders did uh, prior. I know what Martin Luther King did. And I also know what Malcolm X was preaching. And Malcolm X was on the road that you are on today. And I understand it. I understand. Can you imagine? Put yourself. You think we have it bad. Uh, we've had it bad for what? 10 years? 15 years? Um, and I know this has been a slow slope, uh, you know, slippery slope, but we haven't really even begun to uh, approach where blacks were in the 1950s and 60s. I mean, you think we've been called names? Uh, how about blacks in America in the in the 50s and 60s? And they had been going on for a hundred years after they were enslaved, uh, and and it was justifiable. To say enough, kill them, kill them, have violence, white people, bad. They had justification to do that and say that that wasn't the way to win. Uh, so you're not you, you can have righteous indignation, but that doesn't mean that your solution, uh, even if you're justified, is going to work. Right. Well. I would be interested in your continued thoughts on uh, whether righteousness can always be passive and uh, no. thought about when Jesus cleared the temple because of the corruption. So. Right. And I will remind you of the uh, uh, the time that uh, Jesus preached peace every time, including forgiveness of those who were crucifying him. So uh, he, yes. he won in the end, yes. not because he, he turned over the time. tables. He won in the end because he no, right. was peaceful. Hey. And, and just so you know, the good news is, the good news is you and I are going to win in the end, because the reality is every day I wake up and I say, Lord, this is a mess, but I pray your will be done, because I know that as people, you know, it's beyond our ability. We need you to interact, and I feel like he gave us Trump for four years. He used a, a mule. Yeah. <laughs> some good things. Yeah, so, and, and I have to tell you, Mike, I, you heard me, I'm sure you heard me before Trump got into office. I was dead set against him because I thought there's no way. And it really pissed me off when people are like, God's chosen him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. But uh, let me tell you this. God does remarkable things. Remarkable things. 
And he is going to take this horrible situation and it's going to turn out all right. He doesn't lose. He doesn't lose. Uh, And if we are always on his side, miracles will happen. He's never going to be on our side. We have to be on his side. And you watch miracles beyond our understanding will happen. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for a civil conversation. You know, I think, too, we have to keep I'm glad you brought that up because there has to be some perspective here. Right. I mean, you know, people were 2016 happened. A lot of people in the audience have called us many, many times and and we've talked about them as well. Really positive things that have occurred in that time. Uh, Good accomplishments and and advancing the ball, the, the, the direction we wanted it advanced. And, you know, look, that's not going to be the next four years right now. It's going to be, especially the next two are going to be incredibly difficult considering what just happened in Georgia. But, you know, we've had in the last decade, we've had the Trump election. You've had two of the biggest uh, wave elections in American history with the Tea Party in 2010 and 2014. You've uh, changed the makeup of the Supreme Court. Changed the makeup of the Supreme Court, you which had, is a major for the first time a president who did more than say, I'm against abortion. Yeah. I mean, he actually fought against abortion. And, and it's then, tremendous. And, you know, look, the I think I do think part of this, and I think part of it was with the BLM stuff in the summer, and part of it is what's with the boiling over right now. We have had, the last year has been remarkably terrible. I mean, you know, people have lost their jobs, their businesses. Hundreds of thousands of people have died from a virus all of these things combined to a really agitated, angsty sort of time. And part of that is this, I think, you know, but you have to look at the bigger picture here. There have been accomplishments. It's not like Republicans and conservatives have been out of power for 50 years. And There's been a lot accomplished recently. And we also should add on, and these are things that you've brought up in, in your books, Glenn, but like we've done things like eliminating billions of people out of poverty yes you know there, there have been incredible accomplishments this is not the worst time in american history and and look at this as well look at what the left is doing the left is so overreaching that californians are saying enough gavin newsom <laughs> it's the biggest <laughs> recall effort in the history of america okay Californians are saying this is insane. Liberals have become conservatives. Liberals have become libertarians and said, oh, slow down on this big government thing. There is great profound movement. Californians are moving to Texas, and I swear to God, if they wreck our state, uh, but they're moving. And the ones that I know, I had a real estate agent called me uh, and he said, Glenn, I want you to know. Californians are moving into your neighborhood like crazy. And I said, do you have you checked them out? And he's like, yeah. He said, we talk. He said, they're conservatives that just have lived in California forever and just cannot take it. He said, one of them is a liberal. He said, but he understood why he was moving to Texas. He's like, all of our policies, all of our policies are just bad for business. Everything else got to do it the Texas way. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. They're coming to Texas because Texas works and Texas is a happy place. It is. It's a happy place. If we were just a bunch of, quite honestly, a-holes that were walking around, <laughs> nobody's going to move here. Nobody's going to move here. We were at our gun like, you get out of here. 
nobody would move here. You got to be a happy warrior because people will be searching for an answer. And I got news for you. We got the answer. Conservatives have it. Small government people have it. People who you want to fix the nation. What do you say we apply the Bill of Rights? Just that. That alone will change the world. Da, da, da.